When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. everyone and welcome back to another edition of the Pensburg podcast. I am your host Garrett Bahanna as always alongside me fellow Pensburg contributor and co-host of the Pensburg podcast Robbie Noggle. Uh Robbie we we finally have some some penguins hockey to talk about. Uh albeit just one game after the All-Star break, a game in which I thought the Penguins were going to lose. I I, I I even went on Twitter while they were down one nothing to the Colorado Avalanche, and it, it's over. Uh, the Penguins kind of look like the same team that they looked like before the All Star break. They find a late equalizer in late in the third period. I believe it was Brian Rust getting the who was credited with the goal, uh, with about three minutes or so left in the third period, yeah. if I remember correctly. They go into overtime, and Chris Letang again was the overtime hero. Either way you slice it, the Penguins get two points, two very much-needed points against the defending Stanley Cup champions, Colorado Avalanche. Uh, Robbie, we have 16 questions in this mailbag this week. This is by far the biggest mailbag we've had on the podcast. But uh, before we get into the mailbag, I I really don't want to overanalyze one game back from the All-Star break. But, I mean, the two points are two points against the defending Cup champions. What are your brief thoughts from the 60 60 plus minute game that you saw on Tuesday night against Colorado. Uh, that was basically the Casey dismissed show for 45, 50 minutes. Uh, the Penguins did get a push in the third period and got the tying goal off a, uh, kind of a, a lucky bounce, which in a game, when you win those kind of games where you're completely dominated, usually that's how you do it with a lucky bounce. And yeah, cr- credit to Casey Smith in that game. He came out and he was the only one that was not rusty from the all-star break. Uh, he looked like a 1A goaltender in that game uh, and did enough to keep Colorado at bay, uh, let up the one goal, but a team like Colorado is going to get that goal. And then uh, in overtime, which has plagued the Penguins, they kill off a avalanche power play, and then uh, they stay alive long enough to go back the other way and create some havoc, and Crystal Tang got the game winner. And it, it's really it's a lot that, can, that will still happen in these next couple weeks, but that just has a feeling of a – maybe season-defining win. Obviously, that can be uh, erased away very quickly as soon as this weekend. But if you look at everything the Penguins went through in that game to walk out of there with two points, uh, playing the way they did, those are the type of games that can uh, change an entire season. So, fingers crossed, 
uh, that was the type of game uh, we saw from the Penguins on uh, on Tuesday night. I agree with you. I think the the term "season defining victory" or "season defining loss" is often thrown around a bit too much. But uh, if we get to late April, the season concludes and the Penguins are in the postseason. This game against the Colorado Avalanche, I don't want to uh, put put too much pressure on it or over exaggerate or talk hyperbole here. But this might be the game that we look back on and saying that was the turning point. That was what gave this team the momentum it needed to kind of break out of a funk, go on a little bit of a run. And like you said, they have a little bit of a of a West Coast swing this weekend against the teams like the Kings and the Sharks and the Ducks, I believe. These are winnable games, very much winnable games for the Penguins. You'd like to see them come out of this West Coast swing with uh, a decent number of points. Um, I, I don't know if they'll – I forget how many games they're playing in total on the West Coast. I know they're playing the California teams. But either way, you slice it. Let's hope that this is the start uh, of a decent push coming into the unofficial start of the second half of the regular season. As I mentioned it, Robbie, we have 16 questions. This is probably by far the biggest Pennsburg podcast mailbag we have ever had on the show. So uh, buckle up, buckle up, everybody, if you like listening to getting your questions answered. If you want your questions answered, if you're a first-time listener of the podcast, a long-time listener, you can follow us on our Pennsburg podcast Twitter account. Every week we'll send out a mailbag tweet asking for your participation in this segment. And by the looks of the mailbag, Robbie, <laughs> we, def we definitely got some participation this week. So as always, Robbie, you get question number one. Question number one for the both of us comes from a familiar name, DPS2002. He is our Wilkes-Barre Scranton Penguins contributor over at Pensburg.com, and he comes with a Wilkes-Barre Scranton-themed question. Robbie, he wants to know what the chances are of either WBS's two top forwards, the all-star uh, Nylander or Valtteri Pustin, and what are the odds that either or both of them get an extended look and a shot at the NHL level this season? Are there too many monetary considerations against it, or do you think it can work? Yeah, I'm not sure of all the, the economics of, the, of bringing those two guys up, but it is kind of surprising that of all the call-ups they've had this year, that uh, neither Nylander... Um, or Pustinen have made um, an appearance uh, with with the um, with the big club, and Nylander was one who was brought over last year for Sam Lafferty, um, who Sam Lafferty's having uh, kind of a career year in Chicago, uh, so that was kind of an, an NHL kind of like a quasi maybe like a four A player for like uh, in baseball terms like a four A player for a four A player. Um, so, yeah, I'm a little, little surprised that, that uh, Nylander hasn't been uh, given a shot. And same with uh, Valtteri Pustinen, who has been very good in the AHL this season, was good last season. Um, so, again, maybe the money just doesn't work. Um, there's just too much. I mean, the Penguins are literally that cap-strapped. Uh, it's a very tight kind of valley to, to go through there to make these kind of moves work. But I think that at some point they'll get a shot. Uh, they've been playing like they deserve a shot. And uh, yeah, if the Penguins can make that money work again with the trade deadline coming up, uh, if they do shed salary, which to make any move, the Penguins are going to need to shed salary uh, at some point uh, to bring literally anyone in unless they do a strict money for money trade uh, with a player on the roster, which I think is less likely than anything that is less likely than uh, moving assets and draft picks along with some salary. I, I really think that at some point we'll see Nylander and Putsinen 
uh, at least get a shot if the Penguins do somehow find a little breathing room with the cap. Uh, because I definitely think they should be in with the seasons they're having, uh, should be in the conversation when uh, guys go down. Because some of the guys they've called up, have uh, they've been okay, I guess you could say. They haven't been great. Sometimes it just takes a, a breath of fresh air to kind of bring these guys in and uh, see what they can do. So, uh, yeah, we'll see how that goes uh, in the coming weeks with the trade deadline and the money. But I think at some point you have to, if you're the front office, have to maybe uh, switch things up a little bit when it comes to who you call up and see if you can get some fresh blood, fresh blood in that lineup uh, to maybe uh, change some things with some of these young guys. Question number two uh, from a regular question uh, submitter, uh, Brendan, uh, why do you rarely see deadline rental players re-sign with his old team? Uh, for example, if there, if I were on a team I was truly passionate about that was missing the playoffs and I was on an expiring deal, I'd say trade me for those picks and I'll re-sign here in the offseason. It is pretty rare uh, when, when you sit down and think about it. I don't know if there's um, statistics or anything like that, Player like players that can be tracked back to see uh, how many players have either re-signed or left under this circumstance. But I, I would probably say, to answer Brendan's question, I would imagine if you're trading, like, uh, let's put Timo Meyer in there, the forward from the San Jose Sharks. Let's say he, he's the big he's the big uh, trade deadline name this year, generating a lot of buzz. The Sharks are having a down year, probably in the lottery chase. Timo Meyer is in his prime, and he's a, a very solid offensive producing winger. A lot of the times, these players are on expiring contracts. They're they're pending unrestricted free agents, and a lot of the times, they are departing the team. The team that they're departing is either cap strapped, or they're entering a rebuild process. And rebuilds are often multi-year kind of experiments that players like Atimo Meyer might not necessarily want to be a part of because they want to try and win a championship. Now, a lot of the time. Guys chase the money as as plain as it sounds. the The deadline rental players are going to go if their contracts are expiring. They're going to hit the open market. They're not going to even re-sign with the team that they traded with. That was the thought process that I had with Ricard Raquel when he was traded here to Pittsburgh last season. I thought he was just going to be a rental player and hit the open market. Somehow Hextall locked him up long term. He's done the Penguins well this season. I, I would think too. If it was an older player, let's say it's an older veteran player who's been in the league a long time, he's played his career for the majority of this one team, for instance, uh, he gets tr- traded for a chance to win the Stanley Cup, and let's say he doesn't do it, or he does do it, whatever, he's an, he's towards the end of his career, he probably has a life, maybe as a family, has young kids set up in a specific market, let's keep saying San Jose, for instance. He, you know, maybe he talks to San Jose and San Jose, they have conversations over that, that upcoming off season. And they say, yeah, I'll, I'll come back for one more year, two more years. So maybe it's a, a bit more uh, common among the older players who kind of are entrenched in a specific market if they play for a team long enough. But yeah, a lot of the times guys are chasing the big money contracts on expiring deals when they hit the open market. Or uh, they end up do resigning with the team that they were traded to because they like the fit, or they have a good chance to win a championship. But yeah, it's it's pretty rare to see one player go back to the team that he was traded from to uh, you know eventually sign an extension with. Question number three, also from Brendan, what do you think of Sidney Crosby's comments 
over the All-Star weekend on the playoff structure, I've been in agreement with Crosby's takes since the change took place. And Brendan is referring to Crosby's desire to see the NHL go back to a traditional one-versus-eight playoff format. So uh, what are your thoughts on that, Robbie? Yeah, I I think he's completely uh, right. I think, Sid, what he said was uh, completely correct. I think it's time to make that switch back to the one-versus-eight model. I just think it's more... It's fairer for your top teams. It adds more intrigue. Because, I mean, your top three in each division, you're playing teams that you've played all year, uh, you've battled with all year. Um, if you get to that second round, like, you know basically what your opponent is. The the matchups are kind of predetermined to a point where you, you just know who's who's playing who, kind of. And I just think it adds more intrigue and drama going to the one versus eight type of situation. Yeah, you technically still have uh, one versus eight when it comes to your top seed playing your lowest wild card. But after that, uh, that's not necessarily the case after that. Um, Again, I always think back to 2016 and 2017, the Penguins and Capitals should have no way of the meeting in the second round. They were, that was the premier matchup of that playoffs. And instead you got, not that the Pittsburgh-Tampa series was bad. I mean, it went seven games. And not that Pittsburgh-Ottawa was bad. It again went seven games and had the dramatic uh, ending with the Chris Kunitz goal. I just feel like the matchup, the best matchup in that playoffs, and really you could argue was the matchup for the Stanley Cup, was the Penguins and Capitals that year. And at the very least, they should have met in the in the conference final. That should have been a one-versus-two matchup. Or at worst, like a one versus three kind of situation. Now that you have two divisions, you could make your top two division winners uh, the first two seeds and then go three through eight would be the rest of your teams. I just feel like that one versus eight is how it was done for so long. It worked so well. No one complained about it. It just felt like, okay, yeah, you get the bracket and they get the, the gambling aspect of it. But I think from a fan's perspective, the one versus eight is much more entertaining than the current division model, wildcard model. It just it's just so much more intrigue and drama going the one through eight system. And I really do hope that at some point in the near future they do uh, move back in that direction. Uh, question number four, or not really as much of a question as it's more of a note from Brendan. Uh, a prospect update. This is in reference to I believe a question he asked last week. Uh, he looked at the pay this page about a post about Isaac Belleville. Um, He is ranked in the top three defenders in the Quebec Major Junior Hockey League this year, uh, and he was drafted in the fifth round by the Penguins. Speaking for Belleville, I was looking at some of his more in-depth statistics uh, and what he's done so far in the Quebec Major Junior League. This is probably going to be, he's 20 years old, and this is his fourth season in the Quebec Major Junior League. I would imagine he makes the jump to the professional ranks playing in the AHL uh, if he is if he is signed. I don't believe he is currently signed by the Penguins. Uh, I, I believe the Penguins own his rights, but I don't believe he has signed an entry-level deal. I could be mistaken on that. Either way, this is likely his last season in the Quebec Major Junior League. If he is going to be signed or he is going to make that jump into the AHL, it's going to be at the tail end of this season or into the start of next season. But looking at where he's at now, 
He's played 37 games, seven goals, 27 assists for 34 points, and he is a plus 25. And this is the kind of thing you want to see from a 20-year-old player in the Quebec, uh, the Quebec League. He is 20 years old. This is the tail end of his junior career. You'd like to see him against lower, younger opposition. You'd like to see him be dominant on the score sheet, even as a defender. I know the Quebec League it has a more of a penchant for offense and offensive inclined play. Maybe compared to some of the other defenders, uh, you'd like to see a bit more offensive production. I mean, look, he was drafted in the fifth round probably for a reason. Um, he was always going to be something of a project for the Penguins defensively, kind of taking a flyer on this guy, see if they can develop him into anything. I will say this, he does have NHL-ready size as a left-handed defender. Uh, he's six foot two, 185 pounds, so definitely an NHL-style build. It's going to come down to, for the Penguins, do they see enough development over the four years that he's played junior? Do they see enough development where he can take that next leap and become a con contributing member to the AHL roster? Because this is this is a player that's probably, if he is going to get a shot at the NHL level, he's probably going to round out as a um, bottom pairing defender. He's probably two or three or maybe four years away in all honesty, from making that jump into the NHL, unless his development skyrockets and he really latches on to the AHL game. But yeah, he's he's one of those projects the Penguins took a late flyer on in 2021. He's developing at an okay pace in the Quebec League, and uh, we'll see in the offseason if the Penguins do decide to offer him a contract or let him walk as a free agent uh, and see if they can find another late-round player that they can try and develop into a, a solid defenseman with NHL potential. Question number five from Brandon Robbie. How much does Tristan Jari's injury woes impact his current value? I'd say without the injury history, he's probably looking at six plus million dollars next year for his contract. But I think it's a hard pill to swallow to offer him much more than what his current rate is. Yeah, I completely agree with that. I think we talked about this uh, either last week or the week before that there is a a significant question about Tristan Jari's health and can he stay on the ice? Last season he gets hurt just days before the, the NHL playoffs start, it ends up uh, costing him six of the seven games against the Rangers, and even in the seventh game, basically playing on half a leg. Basically, his ankle was just mangled. He was just out there and fought through it to give them the best chance of winning because of the goaltending situation. Again, if Casey Smith is healthy, I doubt Jari – I doubt that series gets to seven games. I doubt Tristan Jari uh, has to worry about playing in that series. And yeah, I mean, this is now twice this year, though. He did practice today in Anaheim with the team uh, at a full practice. So it looks like he's, his absent, absence will be uh, more limited this time. But that's already twice this year that their number one goalies missed uh, two or more games. So uh, you don't want to pay a guy that's not going to be not going to be healthy for to start 55, 60 games a season. It's just not. It's okay. If, I mean, 55, 60 is a good target, I think, but you don't want that 20 some missed games to come from injuries because he gets out of a rhythm. He has to come back. He has to go through all the rehab. Whereas if you're just taking, if you're just using uh, rest, it's a completely different story. You're still practicing, still on the ice. Uh, so it's just a completely different uh, scenario there. So yeah, I think uh, totally um, it, it's going to affect how much 
uh, the Penguins are willing to offer him in a new contract uh, this offseason. Again, it's I, I think it's increasingly likely that the Penguins' front office looks completely different when they're negotiating contracts this summer. Uh, so it'll be interesting to see how all that plays out. But I think this season and how last season ended with the injury before the playoffs have definitely affected not only the dollar amount, but also the term as well. You don't want to lock yourself down for four or five years uh, to a guy, um, even if the the salary cap is tenable uh, and easy to swallow, that you lock yourself down, that you're stuck with him, and you have to, you can't move him for anything, you can't buy him out. It just becomes so much of a headache. So I think it not only affects the dollar amount, but also uh, the term that he'll get on his next deal if it's in Pittsburgh. Question number six, we're uh, switching over to Brian here. Uh, been seeing some talk about uh, Brock Besser uh, from Vancouver uh, for a, in, in exchange for Kasperi Kapanen. Uh, what are your thoughts on that? Well, the shoe has already dropped for the Vancouver Canucks trading away Bo Horvat to the New York Islanders, but now looking at Brock Besser, if he's available and I'm the general manager, yeah, I'm absolutely looking at that, especially for Kasperi Kapanen. I know Jim Rutherford has some sort of some sort of affection, some sort of like for Kapanen and his game acquiring him twice while he was, I believe, uh, in Pittsburgh here. Trading Kapanen to Vancouver, back to Rutherford, giving me Bo, or uh, giving me uh, Brock Besser, 25-year-old right winger in the first year of a three-year contract with a cap hit of $6.6 million. The Penguins would have to make the money work because, like Robbie said, that, that's how cap-strapped they are. They'd probably have to either have Vancouver retain some salary and maybe throw in a couple of sweeteners in addition to Kapanen or put in multiple players on their side of the trade to make that work. But yeah, three years at $6.6 million, uh, a top six winger either alongside Malkin or Crosby on the right wing. Right now this season for the Canucks, he's played in 43 games, nine goals, 22 assists for 31 points. Uh, I, I, I'd absolutely take Brock Besser for Kasperi Kapanen. Kapanen, to me, we, we say it all the time, he has all the tools. He has everything you want in a prototypical NHL player, but for whatever reason, he hasn't been able to put it together and give you that consistency that you want to see from a top six or a top nine winger. So in this case, specifically for Brock Besser, yeah, if the, if the Vancouver Canucks are tearing everything down and entering a rebuild, give me Besser for Kapanen, absolutely. Question number seven from Brian. Brian saw a mock trade of a first-round first, first round pick, the Penguins' first-round pick, and Ty Smith for the Florida Panthers forward Sam Bennett. Robbie, what are your thoughts on this potential trade? Not really feeling this trade. Um, one, I don't know where – I don't think the money would work out. Um, they're all, Ty Smith's not counting against the cap right now, and Bennett is making uh, more than the Penguins can afford. I mean, the Penguins can't – just add somebody without sending uh, money out because they're that cap strapped. So yeah, that trade that way wouldn't work unless there's, they'd make a trade with someone else to get rid of money. So uh, just this trade on paper wouldn't work. I think there's better options at Sam Bennett. Um, I don't think Florida's ready to necessarily let that ship sell yet. I think I know they're having a down year, but there's still a lot of talent uh, down there in Florida and Sam Bennett is a part of that talent. So I'm not, yeah, not really feeling that trade. Uh, personally, I mean, if worse came to worse, uh, Sam Bennett would be an improvement, but I think you'd have to strike out on uh, some other names that have been floated out there recently to be, be more 
uh, in line with, I think, what the, will help the Penguins improve. Uh, Sam Bennett, not a bad player by any means, uh, but he's really been thriving in Florida after a struggle in Calgary. I just, with no, yeah, without knowing any other moves that could happen, one, I just, on paper, that trade can't happen because of money. And two, I think you can get better value for a first round draft pick and Ty Smith, who looked good in a uh, small sample size in Pittsburgh this year. I think that value is a much higher than, than a Sam Bennett. Uh, question number eight, going back to Brendan. Uh, he says, the Owls used to do their training camp in Yarmouth, Nova Scotia. It's about time the Penguins pay back a little what Sid has given Pittsburgh and do something similar in Halifax. I bet you could even sell out the Scotiabank Center for an inter-squad game with Sid playing. Halifax, definitely. Now, I, I'm I'm no Canadian geography expert. I don't know how many rinks, what kind of setup. I'm sure there are multiple rinks in Halifax for, for some sort of training camp preseason kind of thing. I was looking, I decided to take it upon myself to look into what kind of setups Cole Harbor has. I, I, I would imagine Cole Harbor is uh, much smaller, obviously, than Halifax and the kind of resources that Halifax can offer. But Cole Harbor does have a hockey, uh, uh, albeit a small hockey rink, Cole Harbor Place. So if you want to even go up there to where Sidney Crosby is from, go go into Cole Harbor, bring a, bring you know bring the squad up there for for something, a couple of practices even you know where Crosby is definitely in his element, uh, in his home, surrounded by because I know it's a pretty small community, Cole Harbor. And it's kind of where Crosby goes to kind of decompress and where what's one of the places where I know he feels most comfortable. So, heck, go up into Cole Harbor and have a party. I know Crosby does, um, Sid does some some sort of summer practice thing with kids in Cole Harbor. He does it every year. Sidney Crosby's, it's called like Sidney Crosby's kids camp or, you know, something like that. He does it in Cole Harbor. So yeah, why not, why not take the, take a couple of, uh, take a couple of squads up there into Cole Harbor and I have a couple of practices up there. I don't know if you get a game and, uh, an exhibition game up there, but yeah, like Brendan said, I'm sure he could draw a crowd basically anywhere you went up in Canada for, for even some preseason action or so some summer practices, whatever, whatever the case may be. Question number nine from Brian Robbie. Uh, what are your, what are your, some favorite players that you've seen throughout your life for Brian? It's, uh, Darius Kasparitis, Peter Forsberg, Brooks Orpik, and of course, Sidney Crosby. Oh, my, yeah. I mean, obviously I grew up with Mario and then Sid, uh, and Yager as well, but uh, Kevin Stevens was always a personal, a big personal favorite of mine. I uh, love Kevin Stevens playing, and uh, he was just such a uh, kind of a Pittsburgh type forward, uh, hard nosed, it just miserable to play against and could score. Uh, another guy that always stuck out for me was uh, Alexei Kovalev. He was kind of in the very formative years of my uh, hockey fandom. Uh, with the Penguins, just all world. But I was so happy. I know it didn't exactly work out when he came back, but I was so, uh, so happy when they brought him back to Pittsburgh uh, for kind of a reunion tour because um, I always loved him growing up. He was one of my favorite players. Other guys from other teams, man, there's, I've I've been blessed with seeing so many great players. Dominic Hasek is one. Uh, he obviously was a thorn in the Penguins side playing in Buffalo, but the dude, I mean, just otherworldly. Just unbelievable player. In my mind, the greatest goaltender ever, just because he did stuff that was just so freakishly 
insane. The way he contorted his body to make saves was just a pleasure to watch. And I love a good goaltender. Uh, and Hashik was probably the best I've ever seen. I had the the opportunity to see him in person in Pittsburgh when I was uh, probably I uh, was probably before I was in high school, so I was pretty young. But I got to see him in Pittsburgh and uh, truly blessed to to have that opportunity to see him because he was uh, just such a unique player. And then if we're going for more current, I was always a big fan of Shea Weber. There's something about him. Any time I played uh, the EA NHL games on my PlayStation, I tried to get Shea Weber uh, in Pittsburgh because I just, I don't know, something always attracted me uh, to the way he played. And I always enjoyed watching him play. And yeah, great player. Hopefully, maybe, possibly a future Hall of Famer as well. So yeah, those are just a few guys that some I grew up with and some I, I became fans of uh, a fan of later because they they came about here in the last couple years. Uh, question number 10, again from Brian. What's your favorite hit you've ever seen? doesn't have to be in person, but mine was when Colby Armstrong blew up uh, Patrick Eves behind the net on April 15, 2007. I was 16 at the time. It still stands out in my mind even now at 32. There are a couple of hits that I, I wanted to verify who hit whom. Looking back and, and going through watching some old videos, there are a couple of hits that came to mind. The first one was Chris Kunitz hit on Kimo Timonen. Yeah, that's uh, the one that came to my head immediately as I saw that question. Was that was that the 2012 series? Yes. Yeah, that's what. I, yeah. So that was the first one that came to mind. The second one that came to mind was the shift. I think it was the 2008 finals. Uh, with Brooks Orpik getting like four hits in 10 seconds or whatever uh, against the the Red Wings. Uh, that was game, which game was that? Game three, I think, of the 2008 finals. So then the third one, it was Evgeny, I think it was Evgeny Malkin's hit behind the net on Dan Girardi for, when he played for the New York Rangers. Uh, this was pr- pretty recently, actually. I think it was 2016 or 20. 2015 or 2016, he just absolutely demolishes Dan Girardi behind the net, just absolutely levels him and makes him parallel to the ice. But yeah, those are the three hits that immediately came to mind uh, when talking about some of my some of my favorite hits. Question number what question are we on? Jesus, there's so many. Eleven. Okay, question number eleven comes from Brian. Robbie, if you were Gary Bettman, what is one rule you'd change within the NHL? Rule, I would, well, I don't know if this is, I guess it's a rule technically. I would change overtime to uh, 10 minutes, three on three. I think that would, oh man, that would have to, your shootouts would be very rare. They've gotten more and more rare in the in the final in the last couple of years with the three on just the three on three change but i think if you went to 10 minutes to three on three i, I just don't with that that much open ice and that much skill i it would be in my opinion it'd be very rare that it would go to a shootout unless just the two teams were just completely gassed that they couldn't um they just couldn't go anymore and they were just playing for a shootout uh, but I really think if you'd want without a complete elimination of the shootout, because you'd still have the chance for ties, I would go to a 10 minute three on three. And then a shoot at that point, if nobody scores in a 10 minute three on three, then just go to a shootout because nobody's scoring uh, at that point. Just end it. Um, I mean, yeah, the Penguins have been in what, tw- like 12 overtime games this year and they've gone to the shootout twice. It's 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 getting rarer and rarer, and I think a way to I guess quote unquote eliminate it without actually eliminating it 
uh, and going back to where ties would be in play would be to just go to a three on three overtime. And then another role I change is this one. I don't think this will ever happen. Would be going to a three point system, like uh, kind of like in soccer, um, except you take out the ties, you'd get three points for a regulation win. And then the win, yeah, the winning team would get three points. And then if it goes to a, sh- a overtime contest, um, unless you're playing five on five hockey, uh, three on three hockey is kind of like a little skill game. So I don't feel right making it three points for um, the winner in overtime. So I go two points for the winner in the overtime or shootout. And, the, and then a point, then you'd bring in uh, the loser point there. I just think that, yeah, if you win to kind of, it would definitely space out the standings more. It would probably, it, it wouldn't change that much, I think, historically. But I'd like to see them. Get, just get rid of the the, the two point system, make it a three point system, kind of similar to soccer. It would be more fair, I believe, standings wise to the teams that are winning in regulation, uh, and would definitely yeah change the strategy for avoiding overtime as well. I think you'd see more teams push in that last couple minutes to get a go ahead goal if that was in play. And then I guess third, um, get rid of the trapezoid, just like goalies play the puck. Uh, there these goalies this in this day and age, they're all adequate at playing the puck but especially guys like yeah i'm i guess a little biased here tristan jari is really good at playing the puck but mike smith was always great at playing the puck uh, so was i mean marty brodeur was kind of the reason they put the trapezoid in to begin with but yeah goalies shouldn't be penalized for not being able to play the puck shouldn't be penalized for being good at playing the puck and in a way that is a way that it was always used as that was a way to generate offense well a good goalie playing the puck can be a huge uh, advantage for a team to get the puck up ice, maybe catch a team in a change uh, and generate offense that way. So I think it's kind of a double-edged sword, but there's more positives to just dumping the trapezoid, letting goalies play the puck anywhere, uh, let them kind of generate offense from uh, behind the net. Uh, number 12, uh, this one's for Pittsburgh Skate. Uh, with off-season unrestricted free agents coming up in conversation, do you think Hextall should get a head start on a Gentle extension? Uh, next year is a contract year for number 59. Well, we have to take a couple of things into consideration here. First off, is Hextall going to be the one negotiating a contract for Jake Gensel? Uh, that would be my first question. And that is a question that you probably can't answer right now. We'll have to see how this, the rest of this season plays out before we know probably the future of Ron Hextall and the Hextall regime. But yes, Gensel this summer, this uh, this upcoming, um, after the season ends, Gensel is eligible to sign an extension. He is an unrestricted free agent at the end of next season. And boy, what a, looking back, what a tidy, really tidy piece of work Jim Rutherford did locking Gensel up uh, on a, it was a six-year, I believe it was a six-year deal, and his cap hit was $6 million flat. And boy, is he ever deserving of a raise. I don't think he's going to go anywhere. I think the Penguins are going to make sure he is going to be here. I wouldn't be surprised in all honesty. I would not be surprised if he's a penguin for life. And if you want to go really deep into the future, I would not be surprised if he is the next captain of the Pittsburgh Penguins. Uh, when Crosby, Malkin, and Latang, when they're all gone, I would not be surprised to see that happen. But as for what Gensel is worth, for me, I'd give him a blank check, put whatever number you want down on there, and 
that's the number he's going to get because that's I think that's how important he is to the top six. He's developed uh, a, me- a great chemistry with Sidney Crosby over the years, almost a point-per-game player since he's come into the NHL, 387 points, 181 goals, and 421 games played. So I'm no salary cap expert. I, all I know is he's going to get a pay raise. What that pay raise is, I'm not quite sure yet, but I know he's going to be worth every penny of it because that's how important he is to the Penguins and their top six. Question number 13 from Brian. Brian saw an interesting take and wanted to share to see our opinions. Uh, Here's a big brain take incoming. So I don't think Mike Sullivan is intentionally tanking, but if his relationship with Ron Hextall is as frosty as it's rumored to be, he could very well be making a statement by playing Hextall's players in the roles Hextall has cast them in. Well, Robbie, what do you have to what do you have to say about this rather big brain take? So I know who this big brain take came for came from because I was watching the game on Tuesday night and this take literally came up um, in my time on my Twitter timeline. So like I know I know exactly who came up uh, with this take and. Um, uh, it's not, yeah, I don't think it was definitely not a joke from the, the guy that sent it. And he's a very good, uh, penguins guy, very knowledgeable of the game. So I think it's the way that sometimes you watch the game. I can definitely see why someone would think that, why that would, idea would pop in your head, given Sullivan's at times, um, use of certain players in certain situations, like putting Jeff Carter on the ice against the Nathan McKinnon line just makes flatly no logical sense you don't even need any kind of analytics to say that that is just an absolutely horrendous matchup for the penguins and it cost the penguins on tuesday night the avalanche only goal came with that exact combination of players on the ice and the goal was scored by nathan mckinnon after jeff carter completely just kind of whipped on coverage that would have uh, blocked or made mccarr's shot much more difficult than it actually was i don't know i can't say anything for the what the relationship between Hextall and Sullivan is why my argument against this take is Mike Sullivan really likes being in Pittsburgh. Uh, He can probably keep this job as long as he wants to. And that just feels like a very risky kind of choice to make when your job could potentially be in line. If those kind of decisions are what cost your team games and ultimately a shot at the playoffs uh, making decisions like that to purposely put out bad matchups, especially when it looks like to this point, Ron Hextall has no plans on doing anything with Jeff Carter, um, that he's going to be a permanent fixture in the lineup as long as he's healthy. Yeah, do I, I think I can definitely see why when you watch the Penguins play uh, and see some of the deployments that Sullivan uses, why that idea would pop into your head. Uh, but do I think it's realistic when you weigh the kind of the two sides of it is Sullivan really unless he has some kind of assurances that you're not going anywhere for certain which maybe he does I don't know it seems like that they're pretty uh, set in stone with Sullivan as the coach going forward regardless of how the season plays out but that just feels like kind of playing uh Russian roulette with your job and uh, yeah that way I don't think it's necessarily a true take but I definitely can see why someone would think that if they tune into a Penguins game and see these deployments being consistently the Penguins' worst possible matchups uh, and learning nothing from it, seemingly learning nothing from it. 
Uh, question number 14, again from Brian. Um, who are some unrestricted free agents other than some of our own that you'd like to see in a Penguins uniform next season? I have two. Uh, the first one I'll go with is Max Domi, who is an unrestricted free agent at the end of this season, a current cap hit of $3 million, uh, currently with the Chicago Blackhawks. And uh, so far this season, Domi has played in 49 games, 14 goals, 21 assists for 35 points. I've always been intrigued by by Domi and his play. I know he can play center and le- uh, he can play center and left wing primarily. I-, I don't know what kind of money he's going to make on the open market. Heck, he could even sign an extension with the Blackhawks for all I know. But if he hits the open market and the money is right, put him in, put Domi in the top nine and it can move up and down the lineup. In my opinion, at least, I'd like to see. Max Domi in the black and gold. Here's one to make you, Robbie, to make everyone very much nostalgic. So Max Domi is probably, I don't know if he's off the table. I mean, you can't really tell with any of these guys because you don't know where they'll end up. But so my first one was Max Domi. My second one, Jordan Stahl. We're going to bring Jordan Uh. Stahl back to Pittsburgh. His massive 10-year contract that Jim Rutherford signed signed him to back in 2013-14. His 10-year contract is over at the end of this season. So he'll be, as things stand right now, unless he signs an extension there in Carolina, he'll be an unrestricted free agent this summer. I can't believe Jim Rutherford signing a 10-year contract. Yeah. So that was Oh man, that's just so so great, so crazy to see. But yeah, let, screw it. Let's get nostalgic. And uh, these players aren't getting any younger. W- would Jordan Stahl be an upgrade over Jeff Carter? You could make oh, the argument. Oh my, yeah, easily. Yeah, that's not even know? a question. Yeah. So you know, I'm sure. I don't know if Crosby and Malkin and Latang kind of sweet talk Jordan. I don't know how regularly these guys talk. It's at the very least. It's fun to have a fantasy. It's fun to kind of get the band back together. I, I know people are going to poo-poo that and probably say, ah, they brought the core back and they shouldn't have brought the core back, but screw it. I mean, are the Penguins going to win another Stanley Cup? Probably not. Uh, that's me being a realist. So would, would, would Stahl be an upgrade over Jeff Carter in the third line center? Absolutely. 34, 35 years old. How much more is left in the tank? He's a big body at six foot four, 220 pounds. So how, how well can he continue to skate? I don't know. I don't watch Jordan Stahl on a regular occasion. I don't watch Carolina hurricane games on a regular occasion. So, but Hey, it's, it's fun to dream and it's not the most out of this world take. At least I would say it's not the craziest thing you've heard. But if you're into nostalgia and that sort of thing, hey, nostalgia sells. And if we get into the summer and Jordan Stahl hits the open market, I'm gonna hype up the Jordan Stahl reunion to Pittsburgh train, and I'm gonna be on it until he either signs with a new club or resigns with the Penguins. So we'll have to see on that. Question number fifteen comes from Brian. Robbie, do you think Connor Bedard is going to be the next generation's McDavid or Sidney Crosby like Sid was with the previous generation's comparisons to Lemieux or Gretzky? Yeah, obviously a big bar uh, to live up to. But I think that, I mean, everything that's said about this kid, everything that you see on tape with him has every inclination that this kid is going to be the next big thing. And what he did, the World Juniors, was just otherworldly, just a complete freak in those games. I really think that just overall, um, everything that I've seen from him has him pinned as the next 
McDavid, Crosby. Um, yeah, a huge bar, huge expectations. But the belief seems to be that to use what the kids are using today, Connor Bedard is him. Um, I, oh, dear. Yeah. Oh, dear. Yeah. Uh, everything everything they, the, the scouts say about this kid is that he is the next guy. He's the next superstar. It feels like there was a huge gap between Crosby and McDavid, and now the gap between McDavid and Crosby, huge gap in time, not in talent. A huge gap. Like It doesn't feel like that long between McDavid and Bedard. Um, you've had other guys that have come into the league that are good players, but the, I've n- I have not seen hype about a guy since Connor McDavid, uh, this much hype since Connor McDavid, um, and that year that they were, teams were actively tanking uh, to get him, and you have teams this year that Chicago. It's no, cl- it's no secret what Chicago's doing. It's no secret what Anaheim's doing. A lot of teams are now just kind of selling the farm uh, to kind of tank as much as possible to get the best possible odds uh, in the next few weeks. You already had today. It didn't make it in the into the. Nobody asked a question about it, but Vladimir Tarasenko went to uh, the Rangers today. Uh, St. Louis is probably going to be selling the farm. Um, the San Jose Sharks are probably going to be selling the farm. Uh, the Vancouver Canucks are already in the process of selling the farm. All these guys now have decided that, okay, we maybe it's not maybe not been as obvious as the McDavid year, but it's pretty clear that now a lot of teams are going to go, okay, we just want to be as bad as possible to get the best shot at getting a Connor Bedard on our team because he's a true franchise cornerstone, and not only that, but a franchise-changing uh, player. Uh, Connor Bedard is him. Number 16, uh, last but not least, from Brendan. Um, are either of you Pitt football fans? I'm a Seahawks fan, and I'm looking at Kalijah Kansi uh, in the late 30s, which would be late first round. Uh, what's your take on him? Go ahead, Rami. Tell tell the the listeners, you, you know how <laughs> how how deeply invested you are in in Pitt football. You, I this this question just based on how I put them, it, it came to me, but I really should be turning this back on you, and you know ha- having you confess to everyone how much of a pit football fan you are. Yeah, but- obviously a massive pit football fan, uh, seeing that I went to Penn State and pretty much uh, live and breathe Penn State football. Yeah, just a massive pit fan. Um, the most I know about Kalijah Kansi is he's really good. I don't know all the Seahawks needs, and uh, from everything that I know, that Kalijah Kansi is probably going to be picked uh, in the first round or uh, early second round, so... Um, that's the extent I know he's, you know, he was an all American, but yeah, my love of pit football, I really can't talk enough about it. I just really, it's just, I mean, I see so many people talking about how great of an experience it it is and not at all heartbreaking at all. Like they just love being pit fans. Why would I not want to be a part of that fan base? It just, it seems like such a peaceful, easy living that, uh, they get to be a part of. So why would I not want to be a part of that? Hey, all you have to do is. Look through your TV guide if they still make those. Look through your TV guide <laughs> and, and try and find the channel every Saturday that Pit Football is on. Because I, I know, especially recently within the last couple of years, it, it's been trust me, it's been incredibly easy to find Pit Football yeah. games on yeah. on your television. Yeah. Um, I'll say this, Robbie, I, I know your love and affection for Penn State knows no bounds. Because, oh yeah, like you say, you live and breathe it. My my father graduated from Penn State uh, in the early '90s. So by proxy, I, I've be I was born and raised as a Penn State fan myself. I 
hold no real love for pit or pit football. And uh, so what I will say is this. I don't know anything about Kalijah Kansi, but what I, what I do know is Joey Porter Jr. should be on the Pittsburgh Steelers uh, <laughs> come, come, come draft night in, in late April. That's yeah. what I do know. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, if he's there, uh, what are they picking, 18th or 17th or something like that? Yeah. I would, oh, man, that would be a dream come true. And uh, if they got uh, JPJ, um, not just for, like, Penn State reasons, but because he's legitimately good and that's an area of need for the Steelers. And I want the Steelers to do good because I'm a Steelers fan. Um, but, no, yeah, I totally agree with your assessment and on Joey Porter Jr. Here's another thing, too. If, if Kenny Pickett flames out, uh, over the next two to three years and his rookie contract expires. And, um, you know, if he, if he doesn't turn out to be the, the franchise cornerstone that many thought he, or hoped that he would turn into, look, all I'm saying is if Drew Alar takes the kind of steps that we, we think he's going to take in, in happy Valley, uh, I, I, I'm just saying, I'm just, I'm on the same wavelength. We're on the same frequency here. Um, I'm sure a lot of people that listen to this podcast are going to be like really mad because I'm sure a lot of them are pit fans, but I'm on the same frequency. If things go right and Drew Aller is there in uh, the first round, first round prospect, then one, that means that he's really good. And two, that means that Penn state was really good uh, as well. So yeah, that way I'm happy. Why, 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 when I can win a, a Sun Bowl, why would I ever want to win a Rose Bowl? Exactly. Exactly. I mean, when you're looking at bowl prestige and when you have Tony the Tiger as the really the mascot of, of your bowl, I would rather be doused with bowls and bowls of, of um, corn flakes. Uh, corn, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Frosted flakes and frosted flakes. Yeah. I would rather be doused with frosted flakes than I would, you know, biting the bases and stems of roses. I just think that that would be a, a better experience for all, a more fun experience for obviously, all. Obviously, yeah, obviously. Uh, we've probably, uh, with that conclusion to the mailbag and the conclusion to this episode, we've probably alienated uh, maybe a majority of the listeners of this podcast who, like you said, are probably a large portion of them probably are pit fans. So. Here's hoping that they come back next week, and who's, here's hoping that maybe we get another college uh, or slash pit slash Penn State question next week as well. But as we wait and see, as we wait another week to see what kind of uh, what kind of decline on listen- listenership that has created. <laughs> Uh, for, for Robbie Noggle, I have been Garrett Bahanna. Thank you so much for listening to this edition of the Pennsburg Podcast, and we will talk to all of you again this time next week.